Just like an actual toolbox, you need to have a variety of financial tools at your disposal so your retirement portfolio can handle any situation that comes your way. Scott Searles is a certified wealth strategist and the CEO of Skybox Asset Management. He can help you build a solid financial plan that will stand the test of time. This is the Retirement Toolbox Podcast. It's another Retirement Toolbox. Walter Storholt here alongside Scott Searles, financial advisor and president at Skybox Financial Group, serving you in the greater Cleveland area, also down in Bradenton, Florida. You can get in touch with Scott by calling 888-742-0111 if you ever have any questions about what you hear on the show. 888-742-0111. On today's show, we're going to talk about how hindsight is 2020, especially in the financial world. We're going to see what we can learn from folks, Scott, who have probably sat across from you at your desk and uttered some of these statements that we're going to go over on today's show. And uh, we've also got a good question from Shelby coming up later in today's show as well. So stick around for that. Shelby's got questions about uh, spending money in the early years of retirement and then how that compares to later years and uh, incorporating that mentality into the plan. So that should be a good question. And we'll have our usual TV show and movie review before we wrap things up today. So stay tuned to check that out as well. So let's use uh, hindsight to see things clearly uh, when it comes to our financial lives and retirement and see how people who have gone through some mistakes before would have done things differently with the benefit of hindsight. And the first one is a recent example. Somebody sitting across from you, Scott, or talking to you on the phone, have you heard this one, where they said, you know what, I got really scared when the market crashed during the first coronavirus you know, news coming through in the U.S., put all my money in cash. Now I'm kicking myself for missing the huge run-up in the market, and I'm just sitting around kind of having to wait for it to crash again so I can get back in. Yeah, you know, I've probably heard this from four or five different prospects in the last few months because, you know, people panic. Their emotions take over, and when emotions take over with investing, it usually never works out in your favor. And, yeah, this is the last part of it, waiting for the crash again, I don't hear quite as much, but definitely the people that got scared, took their money out, put it in cash, and then they missed that whole big run-up. And it can actually have a detrimental, like, actually blow up your whole retirement plan 20 years from now because you missed that run-up. Is it that, you know, if your portfolio dropped 30% and you took that money out, you had no chance to make that money back up. You actually lost 30% at that point in time. But if you just would have let it in there, let it do its thing and not touched it, then it would have came back to where it was and a little bit more. And you wouldn't have never actually lost 30% just on paper. But as soon as you take it out of that market, you actually lose the money. So that's, you know, there's a lot of people kicking themselves for that. But, you know, who knows if there's going to be another crash again or how much. You could be sitting for two years before the market goes down again. And then, you know, it already had gone up 20% from then. So I have a crystal ball. It sits in my office and, and I have it there with an out of order sign on it because it doesn't work. But the best way to, to have to invest is have an investment strategy that's well thought out and planned stick with it and adjust and modify and change it. But having any of these emotional reactions are always going to blow you up. That's a good point, Scott. And uh, we could probably copy and paste that statement, by the way, in terms of the reaction to 2008, right? Yep. Like you were hearing mm -hmm. the same things back then, heard the same things this year, sounded very familiar to the folks who panicked 
during the crash of 08. Always comes back to those emotions, keeping those in check, making sure we're not leading to bad decisions there. Something we talked about a little bit on the last episode, for sure. Absolutely. Another example of hindsight, somebody sitting across the table from you, Scott, saying, I wish we'd have known how much risk we had in our portfolio before we took a big loss. A lot of people don't have a good grasp of that. Yeah, no, and I see this a lot in 401k plans, and people will tell me this, where you know they started investing and accumulating, and the, you know, they, they really didn't pay attention to what they had in there, and they just kept putting money in there and more and more and more money. Then they get closer to retirement, and the you know, the market corrects or the market goes down and all of a sudden, you know, they lose 20% or whatever the case may be. And they're like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known how risky this was. And I wish I would have modified and adjusted it as time went on. And that's the big thing is that you, for all the clients that come in and meet with me, we know what risk is in that portfolio. And I analyze their current portfolios and we know exactly what to expect with 95% certainty how that account's going to react in different market environments. So yeah, that this is another biggie. And it's all it all comes to being proactive, doing your planning, getting everything set up in place ahead of time so that you know knowledge is power. If you know what that risk level is in that portfolio, maybe you're comfortable with it, maybe you're not, but you need to know what it is and what to expect when these market corrections come. Got to know what to expect. And the more we can kind of arm ourselves with knowledge on the front end so that we can know what to expect and be ready for those movements and those possibilities and and truly have a good understanding of how much risk is in our portfolio, uh, the better off we'll be when those things like the coronavirus scare happen, when those things go wrong. Let's say somebody's talking to you, Scott, and they say, I didn't really understand my options with Social Security, and I should have waited to start taking it later on. Is that a good example of hindsight being 2020 in the financial world? Boy, this may be one of the most common ones I hear too. You know, when I do workshops or I, I teach my college class and I'll have somebody that's in there, maybe in their you know, mid to late 60s and they took Social Security as soon as they could at 62. And then I start talking about the, the pros and cons of doing that. And you know, if you wait, you know, then your spouse is able to, you know, get more money as opposed to you taking it at 62 if you pass away. So it's not just a decision about you. It's a decision about your whole family. And so I think a lot of people that took it at 62 and then educated themselves later on realized, well, you know, maybe that wasn't that great of, of an idea. I'm going to live to 80 and probably left a couple hundred thousand dollars on the table. Uh, you know, hypothetically, because I took that money too early. And then even if you do pass away when you're 73, if you waited to take that Social Security to full retirement, then your wife is going to be able to, or your spouse is going to be able to get more, you know, of, of a spousal benefit then from that point going forward. So, you know, there's a lot of implications and a lot of people, I think once they kind of learn how it works, you know, they, they kind of you know, kick themselves and say, boy, you know, if I just would have known this before, I would have waited. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people that, you know, as soon as they turn 62, man, they hop in the car and they're running in the Social Security office and they want to start getting their checks because, man, I got to get my money because if I die, my, you know, no, I'm never going to get that money. So I better start taking it now. And, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, that just simply is not the best thing to do. Yeah, it's a great point, Scott. We're talking about how hindsight is 2020 in the financial world, examples of when that's been the case. 
and maybe you are in danger of making one of these mistakes. You've been thinking, oh, I'll take Social Security as soon as it becomes available. Well, maybe that's not the best route for you to take. Uh, if you've got any questions about what we talk about, reach out to Scott. You can call 888-742-0111 or go online to talktoscott.com and schedule a time to visit. And we'll put contact info in the description of today's show so it's easy for you to find. Let's say somebody's talking to you, Scott, and they say, I should have put more money into a Roth IRA instead of saving so much in my 401k. What's your reaction when that hindsight topic typically comes up? Well, you, you know, it, it's very common. And, and again, it kind of is like Social Security is that people didn't realize or necessarily have that knowledge when they were saving in their 401k plan. You have to remember, we were all kind of conditioned that you save money in your retirement plan in the regular 401k and you put as much money as you can in there. Then when you retire, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket and you're going to, you know, pay, then you'll pay taxes on that money at that lower tax bracket. Unfortunately, we're starting to realize that may not necessarily be the case. When you have to start taking a lot of money out of your 401k to supplement your income, it makes 85, you know, up to 85% of your social security taxable as well as, you know, tax rates might very well be higher in your retirement, a lot higher than you certainly realize, especially since, you know, in this podcast several times I've made the case that, you know, there, there's a good argument that tax rates are going to be going up in the future because we're at historically low rates. So, yeah, I mean, once people realize this, they're like, man, if I just would have been putting money into the Roth instead of the 401k plan, I'd be in a lot better situation today. And that it certainly is true, but people just didn't realize it. And, uh, you know, part of what I do, a big part of my practice, what I do with people is trying to minimize those taxes in retirement, utilizing Roth conversions and things like that now that they're getting close to retired or they're already in retirement. So, yeah, this is another, I kick myself. If I just would have known, I would have done it differently. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. We could rename the segment to that, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, otherwise known as hindsight being 2020. Uh, last but not least, I probably retired too early. You ever had somebody sitting across from you and say that, Scott, and then they kind of go, now it's, it's hard to make ends meet or at least maintain the lifestyle that I want. So they're having to evaluate going back to work. Yeah, I do see this where, where somebody had retired and then they come in a year or two later and they're like, man, I, I didn't realize how much money I was actually was going to need. You know, it's a little bit too tough. They, they certainly do enjoy not working. And maybe there was a reason why they retired early. In a lot of cases, there is, whether they got a new boss and they were tired of it or, or maybe even physically they weren't able to do it. But you know, there's no shame too then, you know, to, to having a part-time job in retirement. It, it serves a couple purposes. Number one, it, it keeps you keeps you busy. A lot of people retire and they're kind of, they're bored. I had people in here the other day, they were joking with me that, you know, now the, the wife is sick of the husband because he's home all the time. <laughs> so, you know, you know, a lot of people do have to go back to work when they retire early. And it's one of those things where, you know, again, if you plan ahead of time and you say, hey, okay, if I do retire at this age, I know I'm not necessarily going to have enough money to last 30 years without having to have more supplemental income, at least in maybe the first 10 years of my retirement. So if you know that and you anticipate that, maybe some people might even be, maybe they, they were in a job where they can do some consulting work now and they do some part-time consulting or they even, you know, get a job at the Home Depot or something like that. 
not only to keep them busy, but also to be able to uh, you know provide a little extra income. And and if they would do it again, you know, in some cases, maybe they would have waited, stuck it out a couple more years. I I had a guy, a, a new client, I just got a few weeks ago, and uh, he was contemplating retiring at sixty two. But when we run the numbers, he only had about a 26% chance of funding his full retirement if he Ooh. retired at 62. That's not a good, I don't like that percentage. No, but if he waited to 65, just three more years, there was a 99% chance he would be able wow. to fund his whole retirement. So that just that three years alone made a huge difference. And a lot of it was the cost of health care because he retired before age 65. And, and he, he, he was going to have to pay for his own health care as opposed to Medicare. And another part of it was simply the fact that, you know, he had three more years of, of draining his retirement plan as opposed to adding to his retirement plan. So, you know, so again, I think preparing ahead of time before you retire, meeting with somebody, going through the numbers, looking at that, what's the probability of this being successful you would make that educated choice to say, hey, you know what, I could stick it out a couple more years if it's going to make that big a difference. Yeah, boy, what a huge difference that makes. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's as simple as that, is just finding out, oh, okay, so I don't want to use a, a word that gets us in trouble here, Scott, guarantee, but I'm just saying someone could think to themselves, wow, so I can basically guarantee uh, you know, a little bit more security in the future by waiting a little bit, or I can leave my retirement way up to chance by you know pulling this trigger a little bit too early. But I'm sure it works the other direction too, right? People assume that they're going to have to work a lot longer, and then they come in, get a review, and it's like, well, actually, you could retire um, pretty comfortably right now or you know in a year instead of in four years. People can be pleasantly surprised in, uh, in one direction or the other. Yeah, I just had another client that came in, a new client, and when we originally ran their plan, we did their, their worry-free retirement blueprint, we were having them both retire. I think there's a, don't quote me on this, but there's a couple year age difference between the two of them. And one was going to retire at 65, the other at 63. And then when we ran the numbers, you know, they can actually retire at 1658 if they want to. And that kind of opened their eyes a little bit and said, oh, well, good. You know, probably not going to work to 65 now at this case. You know, we might end up retiring a little bit earlier. It's all just having that knowledge having that knowledge to know where you're at. Again, if you want to get in touch with Scott and talk a little bit about your own financial plan, you can do that by calling 888-742-0111. That's 888-742-0111. Or go online to talktoscott.com to schedule a time to meet today. That's talktoscott.com. And we'll put those links and contact info in the description of today's show. <music> It's getting to know you time. Well, it's time to get to know Scott a little bit better on today's show. And uh, this is where I ask him kind of random off-the-wall questions, just so we can get to know the man behind the planning advice here on the program. And uh, today's actually kind of a, an intriguing question for you, Scott, since you're so into the financial world. I imagine you're up to date on what's happening in the news. I'm just curious, you know, in today's world where it does seem very difficult to find reliable news sources where do you get your news? Do you have like one central place that you like to go to, or do you assemble it from multiple locations? Where's your ideal news source? Yeah, it's funny you say that because I tell people all the time that, you know, it's it's tough to get unbiased news anymore. And, and I had a client tell me a while back, you should always read your news 
not listen to your news or watch your news. So I have a tendency to do that. So I, I read my news and my main source are more financial oriented because it does cover other topics and, and, and stuff too. But the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, those are kind of my go-to sources, uh, the Wall Street Journal especially. But I also have kind of that Apple News set up on my iPad, and I get my different sources that I want to get my news from, and then I just kind of scroll through the news there to keep myself up to date and then break down it and read the articles, but mostly the Wall Street Journal. But I think everybody should read their news and not watch their news, because watching the news now, it's just craziness. I mean... You've got, you know, one network is way far right and slants everything right. Another network's way far left and slants everything left. There's nothing in between anymore. And, uh, you know, I try to have myself not swayed one way or the other. So reading, you know, though, you know, the articles can certainly be biased. It's much, much more, I think, based on facts than than watching the news. Yeah, I think, uh, and also reading the news, you're reading it without, the hosts or the deliverers intonations so you can make up you know there's no influencing there of opinion and and direction that kind of thing Mm -hmm. so you can kind of read it for what it is in plain black and white and develop it helps you develop your own opinions a little bit more yeah i just get all my news from twitter scott and i'm i i'm very well informed i would say (laughs) <laughs> just kidding just kidding yeah you know, that that's that it sounds like my wife it's like she gets a lot of her news from facebook it's like Uh-oh. how do you even know what's on danger there? will robinson <laughs> Danger. <laughs> did you hear this and i said are you sure that really happened? are you sure that's true yeah, yeah. come on yeah I have a rule where I have to verify every story from like five different sources. It has to, I have to, I have to read that story from, and not just like it's the same article published on five websites. Like I need five different reporters or five different news outlets with their own stories confirming the facts and information before yeah, that's I. That's a good way to go. Before I ingrain it into my brain as truth. And even then, I'm still a little bit wary. I never lock anything in as completely true. I always give it a few days to see if it gets undone or retracted a few days later, you know. So, and, and it's every, tough. every day I do, I do scour my Bigfoot feed to see if anybody found Bigfoot yet. There you go. There you so, go. So, I, I'm waiting for that day. They're going to, they're going to eventually find Bigfoot. I know it. Yep. Yep. That's a great point. Uh, I also try to like just get, um, Like, it's okay if I know that a a source tends to lean one direction. That's fine. I just balance it out with reading news from sources that lean other directions. Right. And then usually I try and find somewhere in the middle of the stories that get reported and transposed. And and I haven't watched the news in years, especially the local news, because, you know, it's all negative. Holy smokes. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just come out there and just hammer with the negative. First, you saw the you know, three people got shot at this bar and, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, you know, I can get that stuff's going on, but man, every day mm-hmm. it's, it's all negative. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of negative stuff out there. And unfortunately there's a lot of good stuff out there happening too, that doesn't get highlighted. Right. And, uh, and, and I think that just leads us to feel like we have this divisiveness and this like world is falling apart mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there you go. That's uh, getting to know Scott a little bit better. I don't know if we solved any of the world's problems in that conversation there, Scott, but at least we get kind of an idea of where you're pulling news from. Uh, Now it's time to answer one of your questions on today's show. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. 
And our question asker today is Shelby. And Shelby says, I'm thinking that I'll spend a lot of money during the first few years of retirement, and then a lot less after I've been retired for five years or so. Is that usually how this works? Well, you know what, Shelby? Yes or no. It's interesting that you kind of word the question that way because, uh, you know, it, it feels that you want some justification for it. But I, I think that everybody's situation is different. And let me kind of lay this out for you. So a lot of the times someone will retire, let's say a couple retires at age 65, and, and they want to do travel, right? They've been working for 40-something years. You know, it's time to take a break and do some traveling. Well, yeah, in that case, definitely they're going to be spending more money in those first five years or so that they're doing their travel and go visit grandkids, take their cruises, you know, whatever it is that they want to do. And usually when we create a retirement plan, we put in a separate allowance for travel above and beyond their normal everyday living expenses. And we can work that in however way we want. But one thing to be careful of is that as when you retire, you very well may have 30 years in your retirement. And throughout your whole retirement, the cost of bread is going up, the cost of gas is going up, your taxes are going to be going up, your expenses and your health care needs are going to be going up, especially later at the tail end of your retirement. So as you start looking at that, yeah, maybe first few years you're going to be doing more, you're going to be more active and do more travel, but a lot of other expenses you may not think about they're going to require you to need more money later on in your retirement. And you know, that's what most people have a tendency to overlook. And you know, if you need $50,000 a year now to live when you first retire, you know, I'm just hypothetically, you may need 75,000 15 years from now. And then you throw on top of that, you know, out-of-pocket deductibles for, you know, for medical care. And your expenses actually could end up being a lot higher at the tail end of your retirement than actually in the beginning. So I think the best thing, Shelby, for you to do is to kind of meet with somebody and walk through all this. Take a look and, and, and run these numbers and make sure that you're safe in spending more money in those first five years. Because the last thing, Shelby, I'd hate for you to do is, you know, retire and start spending more in your first five years thinking you got it all figured out, then you end up running out of money later on because those expenses didn't drop off the way you thought. That's a great point, Scott. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things to think about, Shelby. It really depends on person to person. What kind of lifestyle are you going to lead? I mean, my grandparents um, you know, have just recently started to pull back a, a little bit on their travel, but well into their 80s, they were doing international trips. Their last big international trip was Antarctica, of all places. So, I mean, you know, they were still spending some good coin later in those years. Yeah, and isn't it at Thanksgiving you eat the meals for the places they visited that year? Uh, at Christmas, yeah. Yes, exactly. yeah. See, I do. I remember that. Yep. We didn't do uh, an Antarctic meal, though. And there wasn't any, I don't think there was a, I don't know what the, frozen, is there an Antarctic frozen, cuisine? <laughs> frozen fish served on a stick. I <laughs> We've got frozen smelt for you on today's show, <laughs> or on, on today's menu. Um, yeah, I think they ended up using one of their past trips as inspiration for that year. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that's pretty funny. But yeah, it's amazing. They uh, uh, Actually, they did stop off in, um, uh, what is it, Peru on the way down, right? In Peru, they're on kind of the west coast of South America as you come around the corner. Okay, And yeah. I think that, that was one of the cruise stops. 
And uh, so, actually, I think we had Peruvian that year. So it wasn't okay. uh, Antarctic, but we did have Peruvian. So it, it fit the same. It uh, fits. Yeah, yeah, it still fit fit the bill because they went out and wa- walked around and checked it out. So there you go. Awesome. Uh, great question, Shelby. Thanks for sending that one in. Really, a popular question and a very good one to consider. Just sitting at home with nothing to do. It's time for the shelter in place movie TV review. All right, Scott, what's been on the tube for you recently? TV movie reviews for us? Yeah, I'm going to switch up a little bit. So my 11-year-old, I uh, walk in the living room, and she had the movie Smurfs 2 on. Uh, <laughs> Smurfs? Not Smurfs 1. No, Smurfs this two. is 2, and it's a newer one, right? And, uh, you know, I actually enjoyed it. I mean, it's the Smurfs. I mean, who doesn't like little blue people? Creatures, really. They're not people. And, you know, they're just getting into trouble and then, you know, Papa Smurf's going to come and save them. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it was fun. So if you're looking for something, you get the grandkids, or, you know, over or something and looking, crank up the Smurfs too. It was, it was enjoyable. I liked it. Not my normal oh, show, but. Good, good for it being a kid's show. Worth yeah. watching and checking and it, out. It, okay. You know what? And, and those, they make those movies now too. So adults enjoy them because they know, they know the deal is that kids and the adults are sitting down they have to entertain the adults too so there is some little under the radar adult kind of you know themes and topics thrown in there to keep you interested so yeah i enjoyed it oh very good i uh uh, look for i don't know if i'm going to check that one out scott i don't know if i'm going to add that one to the list just yet you know what you might (laughs) i i'm i'm going to ask you next time we talk i bet you you will no i don't know i don't know I'll I'll wait till we have kids and then that then we'll then we'll add it to the list. We'll, we'll put it we'll put it on tap for maybe a couple of years from now. Yeah, there'll be Smurfs three out, four out. Right That's true. We'll have we'll see. We'll do. We can just binge then. The right? Smurf That's, marathon. That's the trend. I don't have. A, we, we started rewatching. Well, I'm rewatching, uh, but my wife has never seen Arrested Development. So we are uh, we're starting to watch that together, and she got hooked a couple of episodes in, and they're you know twenty minute episodes. They're really fast, easy to watch, quick pace, mm-hmm. um, and and I, I thought they were great. And when the first time I watched Arrested Development, I I was kind of like half tuned into it, like most of the episodes I watched while doing something else. So I know I missed a lot of the nuance of the jokes and the quick writing and the quick wit. So mm-hmm. I'm already discovering things that I didn't really pick up on the first time around because I was only half paying attention to the show. So now we're kind of dedicated watching it, you know, in the evenings, a couple of episodes here and there. So that's what so, we're watching. If, if you've never seen it, it's still on Netflix and can't, it doesn't get old. Pretty good show. Yeah, no, I've never seen it. What's it about? Wait, you've never seen Arrested Development? Never seen it. No. Really? Oh, it's no. it's it's kind of a cult classic. So it was. Um, it's just about a dysfunctional family and uh, it's got Jason Bateman. And basically, the the father figure of the show goes to prison, and then Jason Bateman has to step in and like save the family. But they're all—it's a rich family that just like well, you like Shit's Creek, right? The, yeah, absolutely. The show that just won a bunch of awards uh, yeah. recently. Yeah. Uh, so you would really like Arrested Development because it's kind of in that same vein. But it's got Ron Howard um, is the narrator of the show, and so okay. he narr- he narrates the whole show. 
So, I mean, it, it's still like a normal show in between, but basically the Jason Bateman's living in a uh, in a model home, and it's the only home in the entire neighborhood in the middle of the desert. So it's like, <laughs> and they're living up in the attic because they're still showing the home downstairs, but it's all like, you know, fake stuff all around the home, and everything's very cheaply built because it's just the model home. And so it just, and then the rest of the family ends up moving in with him after the dad gets arrested for fraud, and it just starts following their crazy their crazy story but the writing is just super witty lots of puns puns throughout the entire show that bridge from episode to episode it's hilarious go watch one episode you'll be hooked you'll, it's, it's right up your alley all right no i'm gonna watch it i love that okay. shit's creek so i'll try arrested development you'll like it you'll like it a lot uh you'll be a big fan i can't believe you haven't seen arrested development that's uh that's wild i almost wasn't going to bring it up today because i figured Everyone has seen it or, or knows about it. So I'm glad I, I'm glad I mentioned it. Yeah, I'm glad you did right. too. I'll go watch Smurfs too. You check out Arrested Development. Okay, deal. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Scott, thanks for the help on today's show. As always, enjoyed it. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again on the next episode. All right, sounds good, buddy. I appreciate it. If you have any questions for Scott, again, the ways to reach out, 888-742-0111 or go to talktoscott.com to schedule your time to meet. And contact info, as always, is in the description of today's show. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time on the Retirement Toolbox. Go Barkers. Investment advisory services provided by Skybox Asset Management, LLC.